Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each week I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. So now this week we are back on my normal schedule, at least for one week, and I have another parasite episode for you. But we're not talking about a fairly typical internal body-bursting parasite that have apparently been the norm so far. So this is more of an ecological parasite of sorts, so a bit of an unconventional parasite, you might say. And here we are are exploiting the childcare system of other animals. So we're also getting out of the Pacific Ocean for a little bit and stopping in North America to talk about the brown-headed cowbird. So the brown-headed cowbird is a species of blackbird originally native to temperate and subtropical areas of North America, really in the grasslands of the middle of North America. Originally, they followed bison herds around and would eat any insects that came up after they were disturbed just as the bison are walking around. But with European settlement and the ensuing clearing of forests for human settlements, the grasslands have essentially spread and the brown-headed cowbird's range was therefore allowed to expand through much of North America. So if you have bird feeders and you're in North America, you have likely seen this bird before, possibly hanging around with starlings. They are fairly common uh, feeder visitors, and they often flock with other blackbirds around migration season. So in what is happening to be a very timely podcast episode, the brown-headed cowbird returns to their summer habitats around March or April and then begins the migration south to Mexico and the southern U.S. around August. And this migration pattern mostly just happens for individuals that live in the more more northern areas of the continent. If you're a brown-headed cowbird that lives throughout central North America, then chances are you might hang around for the entire year. So now you may be wondering, how can a bird be a parasite? So they can't lay their eggs on another animal and have its babies eat a host, and it also has baby birds, so they don't have a tiny larvae that lives inside another critter and, you know, burst out like, or just live in there like other parasites do. So we're not having a typical parasite situation, or at least not like the ones we have so far talked about. But what the Brown-headed cowbird does, along with other species of cowbirds, is called brood parasitism. A brood parasite is an animal that relies on another animal, usually a different species, to raise their young. There are five species of cowbirds that exhibit brood parasitism, and other birds like cuckoos and honey guides are brood parasites as well. So what these birds do as brood parasites is they find a nest from another species of bird, lay one or two eggs in the nest, and then leave. In some cases, though, the brood parasite may remove some of the host's eggs in order to make room in the nest, but in most cases, what they'll do is they'll look for an incomplete clutch of eggs and lay their eggs in that nest. So, as it turns out, there is a lot of thought and cognitive direction that goes into selecting a nest, and into being a brood parasite, so much so that the cowbird's spatial information processing abilities are being studied so they can be used as models for how birds process these sorts of things. 
So first, the cowbird has to find a potential nest. This may sound like a fairly straightforward process, but not always. Some host birds have either just by their nature or in a way to avoid parasitism, they have developed very well camouflage nests, so they can be hard to find walking through the bush, and this is really a good adaptation for avoiding any sort of predator. If your nest is hard to find, your babies will be hard to find as well. In others, the host species guards the nest pretty aggressively. The cowbird would then have to essentially stalk the bird, figure out its daily patterns, so it can figure out when the bird is not going to be in the nest, and then it's in those times when the bird is away that it would sneak in there and lay an egg. In other times, in sort of a non-parasite avoidance, the bird may nest in holes in trees. So then the cowbird, if it finds this nest, would then have to figure out if the opening in the nest is big enough that it can fit in and would be big enough for a quick lay the egg, get out sort of situation. So then next, the cowbird needs to remember where the nest it laid its egg is in. And this is for a couple of things. So one, they often scout out their nests before they lay the eggs. So this would be first of all, so then it can be, or so then it can find the nest again, so it can lay the eggs in the nest. And this is also so that it can revisit the nest later in order to keep an eye on the egg's development. So the cowbirds oftentimes will check back to make sure that the egg is still in the nest, that the host is still taking care of the baby cowbird, and as we'll talk about later, the cowbird will retaliate if it doesn't like what it sees. So another reason to revisit the nest could also be to watch the host's response to a foreign egg, and it will then react appropriately. So then who is targeted by these cowbirds? In North America, there are 140 species of birds that have been documented to have raised cowbird young, and then that's out of another, or and that's out of the 220 species that have been documented to be parasitized overall. So this, so 220 species have had, have been recorded to have cowbird eggs in the nest, and then a smaller 140 have continued to go on to raise the young. Some, in some cases, the host bird is much smaller than the cowbird, with some species like warblers and even ruby-throated hummingbirds being found with cowbird eggs in nests. Hummingbirds, though, aren't considered to be typical hosts. Some of the more usual targets would be things like red-winged blackbirds, yellow warblers, American robins, and goldfinches, to name a few. Individual cowbirds typically don't specialize, or they don't always specialize, in particular species. So, one female in any given season may parasitize multiple nests from multiple species. In one season, a single female can lay up to three dozen eggs spread throughout a given area, and each nest will often get one or two eggs. So, that is a lot of eggs for one bird to create on their own, but when you don't have to spend the energy on parental care, you have plenty of energy to spare to make all the eggs you could possibly want to lay in a season. So now, are there things that birds can do to avoid being parasitized? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. So birds in general are very egg-rearing driven. So in some cases, once the bird has laid their eggs, 
the instinct to sit, raise that egg, raise the young has kicked in, it started, and once it has started, there may not be any interrupting it. So they will incubate and raise whatever egg is in their nest. Preferably, it's all of their own eggs and young, but birds like this don't always notice the foreign egg, or they might just think it's a great and healthy big egg and it'll be the best little bird ever. So in these cases, the host egg might not even be recognized as a foreign egg. The bird will just be like, yes, big baby, it's gonna be good, it's gonna be healthy, and it's going to raise the egg super excitedly. And then to kind of take advantage of this system, cowbird eggs tend to hatch faster than other species eggs. So this helps to give those babies a head start and shortens the time span that the host egg has or the host species has to recognize an egg as foreign. Some birds, on the other hand, do have some defenses around or against cowbird parasitism. Granted, some of these strategies that the host bird has aren't necessarily cowbird-centric, but just a general response these birds have developed to having a foreign thing in their nest. So, in that sort of situation, some species of birds, like cardinals or red-winged blackbirds, will just build a new nest over the old nest. This does come at a cost to the host bird, since building nests take energy, and if they did already have some of their own eggs in their nest, this might require them to ditch some of their own eggs, and then they'd have to remake their eggs. Other birds, like the American robin, for instance, can recognize a foreign egg or at least a foreign body in their nest and will be able to remove it from their nest. And oftentimes, um, larger birds will be able to remove the egg from the nest. So for robins, recognizing a foreign egg should be a fairly easy task for them since their eggs are a very nice light robin's egg blue, hence the name of the color. And cowbird's eggs are just kind of a more white looking egg, maybe a little bit speckled, but they look very different from robin's eggs. So it gives the robin the ability to go, hey, that ain't mine, and go whoop, off the egg goes. So yellow warblers can also recognize the foreign egg, but yellow warblers are pretty small birds, so they're too small to remove the egg. What they do instead is just build new nest over the egg. Now, in some cases, if the nestling does hatch before it's recognized as foreign, then if the bird, if the host bird then recognizes that that baby's not theirs, they can then remove the foreign nestling or from the nest. So once the egg or nestling is removed from the nest, the host bird is not always safe from parasitism. Remember I mentioned earlier that the female cowbird can remember where the nests are that they laid eggs in, so they can come back and check on their egg's progress. Even if they're not raising it themselves, it kind of, you know, they can supervise, keep an eye on the situation. If the female cowbird does happen to return and see its egg or its nestling was removed, they will sometimes retaliate. After noticing an egg is removed, cowbirds will return about 56% of the time to ransack the host nests. So if the bird does remove the foreign egg, whether the bird knows it or not, it's going to be sitting there hoping the cowbird doesn't return. There is another way that birds can avoid parasitism. Host aggression can keep cowbirds at bay, but it has to be consistent aggression in order to be enough to deter the cowbird altogether. 
And that consistency is really key and why it doesn't always work for individual birds. Since they have to leave the nest at some point, and the cowbird will just wait until the bird is gone, lay the egg, leave. In some areas though, uh, some species like red-winged blackbirds will live in high densities, almost like a colony. When this happens, there's a group effort to keep out the cowbirds, and as a colony, they work together to keep them out. This mob aggression is so effective at keeping cowbirds away that not only does it benefit the red-winged blackbirds in that breeding colony, but other species in the area as well will have a decrease in frequency of parasitism. There is a lot of fairly, or there is some other fairly interesting biology going on here. So when birds learn the bird song, it's not completely genetic instinctual things. They learn their songs as babies hearing their parents sing. So it's kind of a nature-nurture combination. Given that, since cowbirds are raised in the nest of other species, um, you might think that they would have all different songs, they would mimic whatever their host sang. That's not the case though, and cowbirds do have their own individual songs that they do end up learning. So how can this be? The brains of cowbirds are specifically wired to respond to a specific vocalization pattern of other cowbirds, and those vocalization patterns act as a switch or a key for the young cowbird. Since the female returns to the nesting area, it gives plenty of chances for her to sing near the nest, allowing the baby bird the opportunity to hear these vocalizations to then trigger the development of cowbird song in the baby bird. However, if the baby cowbird does not hear these songs by a certain age, it will mistakenly imprint on the host species instead and not properly develop the cowbird mannerisms that it needs in order to make it a cowbird. Now, what's also interesting is that for many species, being parasitized by cowbirds and raising another bird's baby does not make a large impact on the population sizes of these birds. So it may cause problems for individual hosts since they're spending energy on raising another bird's young, and it may decrease um, their own fecundity, their own reproduction rates, since their own young may not make it. But on a population-wide scale, it ends up not being a huge deal for most birds. And you can see this, right? For most people living in North America, or for people living in North America, I'm sure you've seen plenty of red-winged blackbirds, and around this time of year, uh, you'll be able to see massive groups of robins getting together for migration. And goldfinches as well. Even if you're not seeing yellow warblers all the time, there are areas you can go to reliably see them. This isn't the case for all birds though, particularly for the Kirtland's warbler. Cowbird parasitism has been a big problem for the Kirtland's warbler and is one of the factors implicated originally in its decline. The Kirtland's warbler breed in a particular area of forest around Michigan and Wisconsin in young jack pine forests. So our logging activities as well as fire suppression has decreased the availability of these trees for the warbler to breed in them. So therefore follows the ability of the bird to breed has been decreased. So when you add parasitism on top of that, it really makes for a huge problem and therefore contributed to the Kirtland's warbler's 50 year stint on the endangered species list. In a bright turn of events though, conservation efforts, including suppressing the brown-headed cowbird population in the area, helped the warbler to bounce back, 
and it was removed from the endangered species list back in 2019. And hopefully it'll stay that way. And now, there you go. Not only can you tell people about, parasit- about parasites that grow inside of other animals, now you can tell all your friends about birds that are parasites as well. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and be sure to tune in to next week's episode. Please rate and review on iTunes. It really will make a difference in helping more people hear this podcast. And you can also find the podcast on Amazon Music, Audible, and Spotify, and Podbean as well. There are now a couple of options to help support this podcast. Uh, You can definitely share us with somebody you know that could use some more animal facts in their life, which we all know is definitely everybody. And you can also become a patron on Patreon. Uh, You can find the link for the Patreon in the description below. You can also find the podcast on Instagram when I remember to post to it. So give that a follow at Quirky Creepy Freaky Pod. And if you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, send it on in at quirkycreepyfreakypod at gmail.com and it may just make it into an episode. Audio editing and recording was done by me, Olivia Streit, and intro music created by the wonderful Kaylee Streit. Thank you for listening.